Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2. So we continue to look here at, at uh, this message that Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. And we've, and we've really come down now to the end of his, of his sermon, right? Uh, we saw how he, he preached about how that these miraculous things that were taking place on that day of Pentecost, he said, were the direct fulfillment of of what the prophet Joel had prophesied. And Joel's prophecy was about the last days. In fact, really, Peter's, Peter's warning, Peter's message there is a warning about those last days. And he warns Israel as a, as a nation that they had taken their Messiah and had crucified him. Uh, he does tell them that that was, uh, you know, according to the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, it wasn't a mistake in God's plan, uh, and yet he holds them responsible there for that, that uh, murder of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he warns them, especially using the Psalms and things that, that David had written uh, about resurrection, he applies, applies those things to Christ, uh, he warns them that this Jesus that they killed, God has, has exalted him, has made him Lord and Christ, and that he has risen from the dead to sit on David's throne, and he's going to, he describes how he's going to sit, um, at the, at the right hand of the Father until he makes his foes his footstool. Right? And, and so you see that in, like, starting in, uh, Verse 32, kind of, kind of the end of where we, where we uh, ended up last time. You see it says, This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And, and uh, actually, there are a couple more things I just want to look at briefly here at the end of, of Peter's message before we get into then the response of the people to what, what Peter is preaching. Um, you see there he, he uh, quotes from the Psalms. We looked at last time uh, Psalms that he, that he quoted from. But uh, you notice there he, he describes how the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand. And in that passage, it's, it's uh, the Lord, Jehovah God, God the Father, speaking to the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord, telling him, sit there at his right hand. And that, that's where the, where the Lord Jesus Christ uh, went after his ascension. He ascended into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. But you notice that, that it says there's an until there, right? 
He's not always going to sit at the right hand of the Father because he says, sit at my right hand, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. And, you know, when you're, when you're sitting down, you're kind of inactive. But when you stand up, that's when you're, you're getting ready to do something. And, you know, when you see in Scripture... Uh, the Lord rising up, it's usually a matter of judgment, all right? And that's going to be an important thing. That's going to, that's going to uh, play into our understanding of the book of Acts when we get just a few chapters ahead of where we are now, all right? But the Lord Jesus Christ at his ascension, he goes up into heaven and he sits down at the right hand of the Father waiting for what that psalm describes and what Peter talks about here that his foes would be made his footstool and when you see the Lord Jesus Christ rise when you see him stand up there that indicates it's time for that to take place for those foes to be made his footstool now of course what all these things are pointing to whether it be the prophecy of Joel whether it be this from the Psalms about making his foes his footstool are those things that are prophesied in the scriptures over and over and over again about the the uh, whether it's called the tribulation or the time of Jacob's trouble or the end uh you know those things that are prophesied in the scripture where the Lord uh exercises his his power over the creation in order to establish that kingdom on earth. That's what Peter is warning them about. Now that's a warning here to these people because they as yet have not, have not grasped that kingdom. Now there would have been people within Israel who had believed on Christ, who were, you know, looking for that kingdom. Uh, many of these people would be looking for that kingdom, but they had, they had misidentified the king. There the king had been present with them and they had put him to death. And, you know, when you, when you think about the, the impact of what Peter is saying to this crowd as he first holds them accountable for the death of Christ, then tells them he's not, he's not dead any longer. God has raised him up and he's going to make his foes his footstool. Uh, for, for these people that are listening to this message, this is a, a matter of great concern. They've been accused of a murder, told that the victim is no longer dead and now he's been given power and he's going to destroy his enemies. Right? Uh, that's a, that's a, pretty serious thing. And so Peter ends his message there just by by really reiterating what his whole point is about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. That's his that's his conclusion of his message. All right. And you see in verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? You see, there's a, there's a response there to the preaching of Peter. Uh, these, these people are left as they hear this message. They are left wondering, what, what are we supposed to do on account of this this fact. Um, you see in their response that they believe what Peter's telling them, 
right? They believe that they are guilty for that crucifixion of Christ. They believe that Jesus has been made Lord in Christ, that he has risen from the dead. And their response is, well, what do we do now? What do we do now? We, you know, the Lord sent our Messiah that all the prophets talked about. The Lord sent our, our Messiah that, that uh, we've been looking for and we missed it. What do we do now? You see, it says they're pricked in the heart. That word pricked there, it, it, it literally means to be pierced. Um, they're, they're uh, you know, you can kind of compare this. Go over to, um, go over to Acts chapter 7. You know that the, the preaching of God's word uh, always brings about some kind of response. There's always some kind of response when it comes to the preaching of God's word. Um, you know, often for the believer, the preaching of God's word can be a comfort. It, it can, you know, be that kind of thing. Although it certainly the, the preaching of God's word also provides conviction regarding our sin and, and those kinds of things. For the unbeliever, there's, you know, there's several different responses you can have. Um, the, the scripture describes some people who have become past feeling, right? Where, where they're just so calloused, uh, they're hard-hearted, and the word of God just, just doesn't have a lot of effect or a lot of visible effect. Uh, you see there, it describes them being pricked in their heart. Here we, in Acts chapter 7, we see a, a, a different response. Uh, here, Stephen preaches a, a message that is in some ways very similar to what Peter preaches, although Stephen gives a much more uh, lengthy history of Israel's uh, rebellion against the Lord. And you can see what their response is in Acts 7 verse 54. It says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. Acts chapter 7, verse 54. There the audience is cut to the heart at Stephen's preaching, uh, but them being cut to the heart does not cause them to ask Stephen what to do. Rather, it says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. And if you skip down to verse 57, it says, they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. You see there, at Stephen's preaching, they are cut to the heart. And the response is, we're going to destroy this messenger who dares to confront us with the word of God. And we're just going to get rid of him. But you see a very different response back here to Peter's preaching. And, and uh, Peter's preaching, when it says they were pricked in their heart... They, they feel that sorrow, not a, not a sorrow that causes them to hate and want to destroy the messenger of God, but they feel a sorrow in their heart that causes them to say, what do we do? What, what is, essentially they're asking, what does God want us to do now? Um, you know, to, to them, uh, the idea of, you know, missing their Messiah. I mean, this is something that they as a nation had been looking for, for, for thousands of years by that point. Uh, they had these promises of the Messiah. I mean, really going all the way back to the, to the creation itself or, or to the fall itself, you have these promises of the Messiah that would come. And they came to that point in time when the Messiah was there and Christ said that they didn't know the day of their visitation when he wept over Jerusalem. 
He said they didn't know the day of their visitation. They didn't realize who he was. They didn't know what was going on. And, and so now they're left with this question, what shall we do? And Peter's answer to them is in verse 38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, this verse, Acts 2.38, is another one of those verses that is a, a battleground in Scripture. Uh, when Peter tells them to repent and be baptized, and, and he, says, he says, repent and be baptized uh, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and he says, ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is one of those passages where nearly every word of it has been argued over. Because if we just take, if we just take the verse uh, for what it says, or you know, what it says when we first read it, okay, he tells them to repent. Uh, that is scripturally a, a change of mind. Certainly they need a change of mind here because they had crucified their Messiah. He's telling them, you need, a, you need a change of mind from that. You need a repentance from that. Uh, he tells them to be baptized, and he tells them to be baptized for the remission of sins, which raises the question of how do we, how do we receive forgiveness of sins? Is it, as Romans 4, 5 says, that to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness? Or is the remission of sins only, only received when you undergo water baptism? Right? So, so he tells them there, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And then he says, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, uh, again, this raises the question of, you know, when, when do you receive the Holy Spirit? Do you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? Or is this some, some later thing that you receive after baptism? All right. Now, to answer those questions, and we're not going to answer all those questions today, but we again need to, to go back. You know, often, often what we do is, you know, we, we read things like this and we try and take things that we know that, that were revealed later and read them back into a, a message like this. Really, what we need to do is we need to go the opposite way. We, need, we don't need to go forward into, into later revelation and read it back here. We need to go back into the Old Testament. We need to go back and look at what was happening with regard to the nation of Israel, which is who Peter's addressing here. Um, really, in a lot of ways, Peter's message here in Acts chapter 2 is a message that is addressed at the nation of Israel. Now you realize a nation is made up of individuals. A nation doesn't really have any individual character on its own separate from the individuals that make it up, right? Uh, when we talk about the United States and, and the American lifestyle and that kind of thing, that's defined by the people of the United States, right? But, but he's preaching here to a nation, and really his message is largely a national message. Now, in order for the nation to respond to that message, it means the individuals of the nation have to respond. But uh, if, if we go back and look at some things regarding this nation of Israel, we can kind of bring into a little bit better focus here um, what, you know, what Peter is preaching to them and what the what the required response is. And we're going to go all the way back 
to the book of Leviticus. The, the 26th chapter of the book of Leviticus is one of those chapters that really uh, almost, almost gives you like an outline that can help you to, to sort of give scripture a framework. You know, I remember, I remember as a, as a child, you know, you would learn in Sunday school all these various Bible stories about Moses and Abraham and Adam and Eve and, and Jesus and, and Paul and these different people. But, but often it, it was very difficult. I remember as a, as a kid, you know, there came a point where I realized I knew all these stories, but I didn't really know, you know, when Moses was in relation to Abraham or even when, you know, when all these things took place or what was the, the, flow of the events, you know. So a lot of times as a, as a kid, you learn the individual stories, and then as you grow in your understanding of God's Word, you begin to see how those, those stories, you know, work together. They're not just these, you know, individual stories in a book, but rather there's this larger uh, account that's taking place. And, and, you know, there's certain passages that wind up being a very much like a like a uh, an outline for you, where you can hang events that took place into okay. Here's where it fits in the outline. And in Leviticus chapter 26, there is a, a chapter. Now remember, the book of Leviticus is being written as Israel has come out of Egypt, but they have not yet gone into the the land of Canaan. And here in this one chapter, you have the, the history, really, of the nation of Israel laid out in advance, even before they come into that land and, and take possession of the land that God has promised to them. He lays out their history, and it's laid out in this series of, of curses that God uh, proclaims on that nation. God, foreseeing that they were going to rebel against him, was able to tell them what, you know, as their rebellion progressed and got worse and worse, what these, these various judgments were that would come on them. Now, you know, if you start in verse 3 of Leviticus 26, um, actually start, start right in verse 1. Uh, it says, Ye shall make you no idols nor graven image, neither rear you up a standing image, neither shall ye set up any image of stone in your land to bow down unto it, for I am the Lord your God. Ye shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. He reminds them of these, these things that are going to make them different than the Gentile nations around them. Rather than worshiping many gods, they're going to worship the one true God. Rather than, than uh, you know, setting up these idols, they're going to have no, no idols. They're going to have a sanctuary where they go to worship God and they're to keep the Sabbath, something the, the, uh, the Gentiles didn't do. And notice here in, in Leviticus chapter 26, verse 3, there are conditions on Israel as a nation receiving blessing from God. And the condition has to do with their walk and their obedience. Now realize that an individual has never been saved by living up to some standard of obedience. Even when, you know, we go back into the Old Testament, we say Israel was under the law. That's certainly true. They were under the law. You'll see it in this passage. But the individual never achieved salvation by measuring up to the law because they were incapable of, of doing that. 
All right, the individual receives salvation by faith. But there are these promises to Israel as a nation that are conditional upon them enforcing God's law and, and, you know, recognizing God's law as their law in that nation of Israel. And when they would turn away from that, there were curses that came on them as a nation. Okay? And you can see it in in Leviticus 26, verse 3. It says, If ye walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I will give you rain in due season, the land shall yield or increase, the trees of the field shall yield their fruits. Now, that's that's an if-then. In in computer programming, there's a, a... control statement called if then and when you're writing a program and you're trying to make a decision what the program should do under various circumstances you say if this variable equals such and such then you do these this list of instructions okay this is an if then if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them if you Israel continue in in the law What's going to happen? God's going to give you rain in due season. The land will yield or increase. The trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Uh, he describes all of the, the physical blessings to that land if they keep his law. Uh, he describes, the again, the agricultural benefits. He describes the peace in the land. Uh, he describes the, the victory that he'll give them over their enemies. Uh, you know, all of these blessings that go along with them as a nation following the law of God. Okay? Um, when you get down to verse 14, though, you have the other side of that coin. But if ye will not hearken unto me, and will not do all these commandments. Right? So if, if you do all the commandments... You're going to have blessing. You're going to receive all of these benefits. But if you don't, there's going to be something else. Verse 15, If ye shall despise my statutes, or if your soul abhor my judgments, so that ye will not do all my commandments, but that ye break my covenant, I also will do this unto you. And with verse 16, you begin to see these courses of judgment that would come upon Israel. Now, the interesting thing about these courses of judgment is that if you were to, you know, if you were to take this passage and then read through from really from the death of Joshua, uh, you know, through through the Old Testament, you can identify specifically where these courses of judgment begin. All right, so you can identify where that first course of judgment begins based on what it tells you in the scripture. And you can tell when they've progressed into the second course and the third course and the fourth course and the fifth course. And that's again why this, why this passage here in Leviticus 26 winds up being like a, like an outline that as you study all the rest of the Old Testament, you can, you can hang these events, you know, where they fit in that, in that progression. Okay, verse 16, he says, I also will do this unto you. I will even appoint over you terror, consumption, and the burning ague that shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart, and ye shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. 
And I will set my face against you, and ye shall be slain before your enemies. They that hate you shall reign over you, and ye shall flee when none pursueth you. There's that first course of judgment, that first chastisement. Uh, now, the Lord had, had promised, if you just kind of remember sort of the, the progression of events there with Israel, here as he writes this, they're coming out of Egypt. They're under the leadership of Moses. Uh, they eventually go into that land of Canaan. Remember, Moses doesn't go into the land, but Joshua does. And Joshua is, is somebody that God... Uh, Simply because of Joshua's faith, I mean, Israel, Israel certainly was already in rebellion against God long before the end of Joshua's life. But God promised Joshua that these, these uh, curses and things that would come on Israel, that they would not come during Joshua's lifetime. And so during Joshua's lifetime, Israel in a lot of ways kind of has a sort of a reprieve from God as a nation. But with the death of Joshua, when you go from the end of the book of Joshua and into the book of Judges, you see Israel going through this cycle of rebellion. And they'll rebel and God will bring judgment on them. And eventually they decide they've had enough judgment. They'll repent. They'll turn back to God. And he gives them some, some uh, victory over their enemies, gives them some peace. And then out of that, they wind up rebelling against God again. And so you have this, this series of judges. And there is, it mentions things like uh, the, the kinds of sicknesses that God would bring on them. Uh, when it says, ye shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. Do you remember the, do you remember the judge Gideon? Uh, and how Gideon was threshing. He was threshing grain, but he was doing it at night. Because he was trying to hide it from Israel's enemies because he knew if they saw that he was threshing grain and he was putting up grain, they were just going to come and take it. Okay? And, and you see it describes there how their enemies, they're, gonna, they're going to uh, sow their seed in vain because it's going to be their enemies that are going to eat of the increase of the field. And this is this first course of judgment. Now these courses of judgment are cumulative. So the first course doesn't really end, it's just that the second course is added on to it, all right? And so God does these things in the same way that you would discipline a child in order to, to teach them to do the right things. But what you see is, uh, you see at the end of verse 18, or sorry, sorry, uh, the beginning of verse 18, it says, and if ye will not, yet for all this hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. Each course of judgment is progressively worse than the one before, and it's cumulative. It's added on top of the one before. And so, so that first course of judgment, uh, you know, runs through the, the period of time of the, of the judges, um, and, and really kind of into the beginning of the period of the kings of Israel. The second, second chastisement or second course there, verse 18, it says, If ye will not yet for all this hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins, and I will break the pride of your power. And I will make your heaven as iron, and your earth as brass, and your strength shall be spent in vain. For your land shall not yield her increase, neither shall the trees of the land yield their fruits. So let's close there for today. Let's close with prayer. Lord God, 
we thank you for your word. We thank you for, for the things we could look at today, just sort of this broad overview of how you dealt with that nation in the past and, and you know where they were at here as Peter is preaching to them on the day of Pentecost. We pray that, that uh, just as your word to them and that, that message to them as a nation pricked their hearts, that when we come to your word, that it would prick our hearts as well that we would see our, our need for repentance um, not as, a, not as a, a work that we somehow perform to, to pay for our sins or anything like that, but that we would constantly be changing our mind, repenting, having a new mind, uh, renewing our mind with the things of your word. And we know that just as they had a need to repent there on the day of Pentecost, uh, unbelievers today need to repent about their rejection of your son and, and uh, receive that free gift that was paid for through his death, burial, and resurrection. And that even we as believers uh, need to be renewing our mind with the things of your word, thinking about things not just according to our, our human reason, but as we're instructed in your word, the Bible. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.